What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. Glad to be with you on Dallas Cowboys Week. We only get this week every four years, and we only get Dallas Cowboys coming to Houston every eight years. Of course, we only go to Dallas every eight years, the regular season, that is, because we see them pretty much every year, if I remember correctly, in the preseason, typically week four. I actually like going up to Jerry World. I probably shouldn't say that out loud, but I don't care. I like going up to Jerry World. I think it's fun, and I get a chance to do the game up in the booth, and the booth is fantastic. <laughs> up at uh, 18, what is it, AT&T Stadium, it's easy to call it Jerry World. I was listening to somebody the other day, and they were talking about making a play up in Jerry World and how cool they thought that was. I can't remember which player it was. Maybe Landon Collins? I think it may have been Landon Collins talking about it a couple weeks ago, going up to Jerry World. But the Cowboys will be coming here on Sunday, and this town will be electric. And what a sports weekend it is going to be in Houston. Friday, playoff, baseball game, Astros, Indians. Saturday, we've got Battle of the Piney Woods here, SFA and uh, SFA and Sam Houston State, and then we've got the Astros playoff game. So two playoff games, Friday, Saturday, Battle of the Piney Woods on Saturday, and then Sunday night while the, the Astros will be traveling and get a day off on Sunday, the Texans will take the stage, the primetime stage, against the Cowboys. So a lot going on this weekend and very excited that it's all taking place. Now, We've had some of these weekends before. It's time for Texans to hold up their end of the bargain. But can you imagine if the Astros take two from the Indians at home, we have a great Piney Woods game, and then the Texans get a win against the Cowboys? I mean, shut it down, brother. That's exactly what we need to have happen. So hopefully we will have a chance to do all that. we got a jam-packed show as always on Wednesdays. We're going to go behind enemy sidelines with D.P. Sidhu. This week, it's David Hellman, staff writer for DallasCowboys.com. We will also talk to our buddy Russell Baxter. We'll go around the NFL with him. He's got plenty of good nuggets for us, as always. We certainly have the men behind the mics. You know how I feel about our man behind the mic, Mark Vandermeer. He's been doing it since the inception of the team back in 2002 from Game 1. But also, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Brad Sham. I, I like Brad... I get a chance to hear him because obviously we're in this state, but just a stand-up guy. Love him, and boy, he can eat up innings on the radio, if you know what I mean. So we'll have our men behind the mics. Drew Doherty will also stop by with a little snippet from our In the Lab podcast, which you definitely want to check out. We give out some unsung hero game balls and talk about that win over the Colts a little bit. You want to hear the rest of that, you go to iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in, however you get your podcasts, and you can hear the In the Lab Podcast in full, but we'll have a little snippet for that during the show as well. And then our broadcast partner, Andre Ware, will stop by in the final segment and give his thoughts on this one against the Cowboys. He is a lifelong Greater Houstonian like myself. I'm from Richard Rosenberg. He's from Dickinson. So the Cowboys take on a whole new meaning for the two of us for sure. So we got plenty to do, but let's get it kicked off as we always do on a Wednesday, with our hot reads. They're brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. And typically, we go right to the podium. We go to hear from the particulars involved in this one, and we definitely will do that. We'll hear from Bill O'Brien, and we'll hear from J.J. Watt, and certainly Deshaun Watson as well. But this news came down on Wednesday morning, and it is 
absolutely fantastic. Texans, defensive star, defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever you want to title him, inside linebacker, all-around front seven destroyer, Jadeveon Clowney, named AFC Defensive Player of the Week. It is the first time that Clowney has been named as such. What did he do on Sunday against the Colts? Well, he had four tackles for a loss. He had two sacks. He had four quarterback hits. He had one fumble recovery and a touchdown. He had the Snow Angel sack. He was our player of the game. He was absolutely phenomenal. He was just incredible. Now, here's one that I thought was was pretty amazing. He has registered four or more tackles for a loss in a game in each of the last three seasons. Week 5 in 2016, the oh, that was the Vikings up in Minneapolis. Absolutely. Week 3 in 2017 was New England. And then it was week 4, obviously, the Colts. Here we go further. No other player in the NFL has more than one game with four or more tackles for a loss since 2016. He has 42 tackles for a loss in that time span, 33 games, which is the second most in the NFL. I think it's Chandler Jones, maybe. Maybe Aaron Donald. That's the company he's keeping. No player in the NFL has more than one game with four or more tackles for a loss since 2016. That's phenomenal. Four tackles, two sacks, four quarterback hits, four tackles for a loss, a fumble recovery, and a touchdown. The key snow angel sack in overtime, Clowney, was absolutely phenomenal. Congratulations to J.D. doing it, obviously, at a key moment in the Texans' season, a key moment in his career. I'm really happy for him. And it's funny because two years ago, in that locker room in December at 16, the last time the Texans had a Sunday road win, J.D. was a player of the game because he came up with a huge sack on Andrew Luck when it was 16-10, to 10, knocked the ball out of his hands. I saw him in the locker room, and I said, are you ready for a tradition like no other? And he kind of chuckled and looked at me, and I said, last time we beat Indy up here, I talked to you, and he goes, then we're doing it again. Didn't realize he was going to be Defensive Player of the Week. We'll take it. J. Jadeveon Clowney, named AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Absolutely good stuff. If I knew how to do an applause, on the air, I would do it for you 90, but I don't know how, so I'll just say congratulations, my man. All right, let's move on to our next hot read. And let's go to the podium and hear from Coach Bill O'Brien. Coach was asked what makes Dallas so good. Start with special teams, Tavon Austin. Um, you know, returning punts for him, Deontay Thompson, kick returner, uh, Jones the punter. I mean, they, they have some really good specialists. Um, offensively, the offensive line, um, you know, obviously Zeke is a great player. Dak Prescott's done a great job for them. Beasley's a good receiver. They've got good tight ends. Their defensive line is very disruptive to Marcus Lawrence. Uh, they're getting Irving back off of suspension. Um, Jalen Smith's playing at a high level. Sean Lee, I know, is dealing with an injury, but Vander, Vander Esch back in there, you know, a rookie that's in there. So they, they've got a ton of talent. I mean, secondary, Byron Jones. I mean, I could go right down the roster. It's going to be a very challenging game for us. Coach then was asked about J.J. Watt. I knew uh, when he got back into training camp, the way he was practicing, that you know he was playing at a high level. You know, so I don't know if I look at it like anything other than you know I've been around him now for five years, and his uh, his expectation level of himself is 
huge, and uh, he, he wanted to get back and help this team win. Certainly has done that, J.J. Watt, with five sacks his last two games. He trails only Demarcus Lawrence of the Dallas Cowboys, and Coach talked about what they see in that guy. Great length, athleticism. Uh, he, he plays very hard, plays hard on every snap. He's chasing the ball sideline to sideline, chasing a quarterback. He's a, he's, he's, uh, he can wreck a game. He certainly can do that. There's no question about that. Now, a guy that wrecked the game in some sense for the Indianapolis Colts was Kiki QT. Coach was asked what he saw in QT leading up to the NFL draft this past April. We saw a guy that had really strong hands. We saw a guy that had very good playing strength. He was a very strong player. We we saw a guy that had quickness and good speed. And then when we brought him in here, we, we, we found him to be a very bright guy that kind of could explain things to us of what they did at Texas Tech and and had some good instincts about certain football questions. So, you know, we felt like that was a good pick for us. Speaking of QT, let's go to the man himself with our next hot read, and it is Kiki QT. He spoke to the media in the locker room today, and he said, you know what, I did have a good game, but there are a lot of things I got to correct and fix those mistakes from the first game. Just some uh, missed assignments here and there and just running routes better and things like that. So that's something I'm definitely correcting this week. He gets that right. Oh, my goodness. But this guy, he continues to push himself no matter what he does each and every Sunday. I uh, just always uh, never been satisfied, you know, just always want to get better. So just translate at each level. And even here, you know, I still have things to get better at. So I'm just looking better to get better every day. Love the mindset and hope that is exactly what happens, especially with Kiki QT, the rookie, but everybody in that wide receiver core. DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, and Kiki QT growing together. Oh, my goodness, with Deshaun Watson, it could be very, very fun. All right, let's get to our last hot read, and that is the injury report for today's practice. Only two DNPs today. Brian Peters has been dealing with an ankle issue, and Aaron Colvin as well as an ankle issue. I don't know if we'll see those guys for a few weeks. Limited participants, a bunch of them. J.D., Coates, QT, Fuller. Fulton, Hopkins, J. Joe, Sunil Kamete, Lamar Miller, J.J. Watt, Sharish Wright. So those are your limiteds, and hopefully those guys will be good to go by Sunday. Thankfully, we're not playing on Thursday like the Colts. On the Dallas side, three DMPs, Travis Frederick, who you know about with the Wilkes-Barre situation, Sean Lee with a hammy, and Terrence Williams, not injury-related. One notable one, full participant Ezekiel Elliott said he's feeling as good as he has all year long. Uh-oh. That's not great news, but then again, facing the Texas defense and not the Detroit run defense, so we'll see how that works out, but ZQL back at practice. There you go. Today's Hot Reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, we'll go behind enemy sidelines with our good friend D.P. Sidhu next on The Texas Houston Texans, Whataburger, and the Houston Food Bank are teaming up to help them take on their toughest opponent ever, Houston Area Hunger. Just donate a dollar the next time you're in an area of Whataburger, and that dollar will go to help the Houston Food Bank feed 800,000 of our community neighbors each year. And you'll even get a coupon for a free Whataburger with purchase of a 32-ounce drink and medium fry for every buck that you give. So from now until October 8th, give a buck and be a part of the team that's wiping out hunger in Houston. Welcome back to the show. It's a Wednesday edition. That means we go behind enemy sidelines with DP City. This week, it is... David Hellman, staff writer for DallasCowboys.com. 
He's also an LSU grad, which makes him a big Tigers fan, so I'm sure he's going to be conflicted on Sunday night when he sees Tyron Matthew wearing a Texans jersey here. But DP had a chance to catch up with David. DP, take it away. How much fun is it to talk about this Dallas-Houston rivalry all week? I know we've talked about it when the schedule came out, but this week in particular, how much fun are you guys having up there? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's, it sucks because it's AFC-NFC, so it doesn't get to happen that often. I mean, I know that the Texans and Cowboys have linked up in the preseason plenty of times, but it's obviously a little bit different in the regular season. I was here for... Uh, the overtime game in 2014 up here in Dallas, which was a ton of fun. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to get down there. I've actually never been to Houston for for a regular season game before, so uh, I you know it's it's cool to see the state kind of come alive for this game. It doesn't happen that often. Yeah, I was actually here for that very first inaugural game in 2002, and I think that 2014 game was so much fun. The Texans fans traveled so well to Dallas. I'm sure Dallas fans will not disappoint by traveling to Houston as they usually do coming down to NRG Stadium. But speaking of that 2014 game, how much has changed with the Cowboys and the Texans in just a few short years? I mean, you talk about Des Bryant and Jason Witten being gone now. Tony Romo is now this announcer that, you know, everybody looks to on Sundays to talk about the games. You know, how different does this team look? And let's just start it off by talking about the quarterback, because I think that's the big question this year. Uh, Dak Prescott, he's looked pretty good in the wins. Uh, how, you know, how has he evolved in his first three years? You're not wrong. I mean, gosh. There might only be two guys left on this roster who were even here in 2014. Even, you know, Sean Lee, who was one of those holdovers, he didn't play in that 2014 season. So, uh, yeah, it's it, it's a lot of different faces and, and none more important than Dak Prescott. You're absolutely right. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves down the stretch because, you know, through a quarter of the season, you know, you got to be blunt. He's, he's had his share of struggles. Uh, the, the passing game hasn't been there. He's been effective as a runner. Uh, he's obviously gotten the Cowboys to two and two, but he really only looked like that 2016 rookie of the year in one game, which was this this most recent game against the Lions. You know, it uh, looked like he really buckled down. His long balls were a lot more accurate than they have been. He was hitting games in the passing game. Uh, and obviously, you know, when you have Ezekiel Elliott setting a career high for total yardage, that, that always helps. So, uh, you know, he played his best game most recently, so obviously the hope here in Dallas is that he can keep that going. Uh, but like I said, it, it's going to be interesting to see because it's kind of been a roller coaster for Dak to this point in year three. Yeah, I definitely want to ask you about Ezekiel Elliott, but as far as uh, Jason Witten and Des Bryant, the two big losses this offseason for the Cowboys, you're right. Prescott, he still threw for over 200 yards, 255 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. But how have you seen the offense adapt now without those two on the field who else has stepped up in their place or, or do they really just spread the ball around outside of Ezekiel Elliott to be perfectly honest I mean that was that was the storyline going into this year and through a month the Cowboys don't have a great answer um, they've been spreading it around you know Jeff Swain is your starting tight end he's been he's been solid he hasn't been you know the reliable presence that Jason Witten was and you know, the Cowboys have had flashes. The, the rookie, Michael Gallup, had a really nice downfield catch the other day. Uh, Alan Hearns has been okay. And then there's there's Tavon Austin, who kind of does a variety of things. Uh, kind of reminds me, honestly, watching the Texans on tape of, of y'all's guy, Kiki Kuti, just in terms of, of the things he can do moving left to right on the line of scrimmage, uh, just with his speed. But they do not have a consistent threat other than Zeke. He is kind of the engine that makes this thing go. And, 
Uh, I don't think it's a surprise that he's had really, really good games when they've lost, and he hasn't been able to – I mean, excuse me, he's had really, really good games when they've won, and he hasn't been able to get going when they've lost. Uh, they got to find a guy who can step up and, and help him out. And, and to this point, I think that's been a story is that we're still waiting to see who that is. Yeah, it's been astounding what Ezekiel Elliott has been able to do in those wins. This last Sunday, 152 yards rushing. He led the receivers with 88 yards receiving and a touchdown. I mean, it's really no secret that he's a key cog in that offense. But what is it about him that makes him so hard to defend both on the ground and in the air? Yeah, this recent game against the Lions was really, it's a wrinkle that, to be totally honest, we hadn't seen. Zeke is a, a capable receiver. He's a good route runner. He's an outstanding blocker. He's a, such a well-rounded running back. But 88 yards in the passing game is something that we don't see around here that often, especially since a few of those balls came a pretty good distance downfield. You know, he, he picked up 31 on the pass from Dak that set up the game-winning field goal. And honestly, I'm curious to see if that's something we see more of, you know, as I said, they haven't had a receiver step up and be a reliable threat. Why not work Ezekiel Elliott into that? Because I do think he's capable of doing it. He had 29 touches uh, yesterday or on Sunday, excuse me. The guy's only, you know, 24 years old. Uh, I think he's every bit as capable of a Todd Gurley or a Le'Veon Bell, you know, guys who can affect the game all over the field. Uh, and I think while you're looking for one of these receivers to, to step up and take that next step forward, I would lean on him as heavily as possible. Uh, so I look for him to continue to be that involved, you know, as they move into the, the second quarter of the season. It seemed like he was a little bit banged up in that game. You know, is there anything to be concerned about for his status for Sunday? Uh, they're calling it knee bursitis, and he's got a little bit of an ankle. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't stop him from finishing the game. It didn't stop him from beating a linebacker in one-on-one coverage to, to kind of clinch it. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be a problem for him going forward. I wouldn't be surprised if, if maybe they lighten his load in practice this week, but uh, I think he should be fine, you know, come Sunday night. Well, David, I was going to say they should just rest Ezekiel Elliott for a week, but, you know, <laughs> maybe you can just pass that along on my behalf. Uh, what about the O-line? I know Zach Martin and Nick Martin, the two brothers, they're going to get to f- not really face each other, but they'll be on the same field for the same game, and everyone talks about that Cowboys O-line. How much – does the strength of that O-line really limit how much scrambling Dak has to do? Last week, he really only had a couple of yards rushing uh, on three carries. Is that just because of what the O-line is able to do with him, or is do you see that role changing as far as what Dak is expected to do? It's funny because, you know, here in Dallas, you know, going all the way back, like we said, going back to 2013, 2014, they have gotten used to having a dominant O-line. They have gotten used to having running backs run for 100, 150 uh, even pushed toward 200 yards. I mean, even going back to DeMarco Murray. But maybe the Cowboys are a little bit spoiled, but it hasn't looked as good as it has in recent years. Uh, you've seen some growing pains. Obviously, you know, it, it's not good for anybody that your all-pro center, Travis Frederick, is currently uh, sidelined by a sickness. There's no timetable for his return. Joe Looney is playing very well in his place, but it's still not quite the same as having the best center in football. you got a rookie guard and Connor Williams next to him. And then, to be perfectly blunt, the tackles, Tyron Smith and, and Lyle Collins, you know, Tyron Smith is arguably the best left tackle in football coming into the season. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't played to that standard. And I, I would probably say the same thing about Lyle. I think there's a lot of offensive lines in the NFL that would kill uh, to have this talent. But at the same time, they have not played up to the standard that has been set in this city, you know, over the last four or five years. So it's good. I think it still needs to improve uh, if they're going to keep Dak clean and if they're going to get this offense up to the level they want it to be at. 
because uh, same thing I said about Dak. It's it's kind of been up and down. They've played well in stretches. They've played really poorly in stretches. Uh, I don't think they're going to get where they want to go until they find some consistency. All right, let's switch gears and talk about that defense. Demarcus Lawrence, he had a three-sack game against Matthew Stafford and three TFLs. What's been the strength of that defensive front for the Cowboys? I mean, a lot of guys in this defense have played really well, but I, I can't say enough about Demarcus Lawrence. You know, I knew he was a good player. He obviously had 14 and a half sacks last year. He made the Pro Bowl. He's playing on a $17 million franchise tag. We knew he was a good player, but he is emerging as a, you know, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald sort of force. I mean, he's really the only bona fide playmaker on this defensive front. You know that defenses have a game plan for him going in, uh, and it hasn't stopped him at all. I know, you know, J.J. Watt down there is off to a fantastic start as well, and DeMarcus is right there with him. I mean, five and a half sacks through four games. The Lions entered that week four game having only allowed three sacks in three games, and he doubled that all by himself. Um, I can't say enough about him. I expect him to be the focal point of opposing game plans through the rest of the season, but to this point, it it hasn't really mattered uh, because he is on pace for another uh, whale of a season, and, and I think he's got a big payday in his near future too. You mentioned Sean Lee. He was one of the guys that was on the roster back in that 2014 game. A veteran linebacker like Lee hasn't been able to go. What's been the situation with him, and and how does the defense adjust if he can't go again on Sunday night? Yeah, well, we got a preview of it uh, last week against the Lions. It's you know it seems like it's been hamstring problems for Sean for several years now. You know he missed five or six games last year with a hamstring. He injured it in week three against Seattle. Couldn't go last week against Detroit. Uh, you know, it's it's a scary proposition for the Cowboys because last year uh, when Sean Lee couldn't play, it was a completely different defense. I mean, they couldn't stop a nosebleed when he wasn't in the lineup last year. Uh, and it looks like they may be taking steps to fix that this year. They drafted Leighton Vander Esch 19th overall uh, to help offset that problem. Jalen Smith has taken another big step forward in his development after that injury that he suffered. Uh, and they signed a really capable free agent at a Green Bay named Joe Thomas, who has played well in stretches, which, you know, it wasn't perfect. You obviously prefer to have an all-pro linebacker like Sean Lee available. Uh, but they got the job done against Detroit, which is something they couldn't say last year. So it doesn't look like Sean's going to be available for this game. Uh, and so I think it'll look really similar. I think they'll lean on Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch and hope that they can continue to play as well as they have. All right, David, the Cowboys obviously sitting at 2-2. Two and two. Those two losses that they had came against Carolina and Seattle, like you mentioned. What do you think was the big difference in those two games versus the two wins? What was it that they were able to do in the, in the winning games that they weren't able to do against uh, Carolina and Seattle? Well, I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like a coach for a second, but they did not execute well in those games at all, um, especially Carolina you go back and, and it looks like a horror show. I mean, there's 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 pre-snap penalties. There's holding calls. Uh, they're not able to keep Dak clean. They're not able to keep the chains in a manageable distance. You saw a lot of first and 20, second and 15, third and 18 in that game. And this is not an offense that's going to succeed that way. Uh, I think Dak Prescott is a perfectly good quarterback, but he's not the guy that you want to dig you out of a situation like that. They need to keep the chains moving. They need to keep it in short downs and distances by running with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, and the, the baffling thing about the Seattle game is they ran really well. They ran for 166 yards against that Seattle defense, but they just couldn't get anything going in their passing game. 
Uh, a little bit of that was on the offensive line. A little bit of that was on the quarterback. And, and you obviously have to tip your cap to a defense like Seattle's, which that's what's so interesting to me about this trip to Houston is they've been pretty good when they've been at home. They have looked pretty bad when they've been on the road. And we all know how much talent is on that Houston defense. I mean, Clowney, Watt, Merciless, Matthew, uh, they got a lot of guys there, regardless of what their record is, that are going to make life difficult. And uh, I'm really curious to see how the Cowboys handle it because their first two road games, uh, they have not passed that test. So we'll see if they can learn from those experiences in their third one. It certainly will be a fun one here Sunday night in Houston. Uh, David, what are some of the storylines you guys are watching up there in Dallas this week? Well, I think this entire season is one way or another going to be about Dak Prescott. Obviously, Ezekiel Elliott is, is the guy to watch. You know, he's, he's the league's leading rusher. He's on pace to have even more yards than he did in 2016 when he was the rushing champ. Uh, but like I said, I mean, Zeke ran for 127 in Seattle, and it didn't help the Cowboys one lick because their passing game couldn't get going, which this team's going to go as the quarterback goes, as is the case in pretty much every NFL city, which Dak Prescott has played two good games and gotten two wins, and he's played two bad games, and they've lost those. Um, it's going to be about consistency for him. And, you know, we said before the season started, this season is going to be about Dak because, you know, you talk about contract extension, you talk about future of the franchise, uh, you know, can Dak be the guy to get this team where it wants to go? Uh, and I'm, you know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a week by week uh, test for him to see if he's up to that. We saw what it looked like when things were good in 2016. We saw what it looked like when things were bad last year. It's been a little bit of a mixed bag here. Um, but I really think this team can be as good as he is. And uh, I'm just, fascinated and i know all cowboys fans uh have an eye on you know how he measures up to that challenge all right good stuff david hellman writer for dallascowboys.com all of texas will be watching the entire nation will be watching on sunday night as the cowboys come to houston david looking forward to seeing you down here and safe travels absolutely thank you very much can't wait david certainly speaks for all of us when he says can't wait invoking bart scott's famous phrase sunday night will be here before we know it it's going to be electric no matter what when these two get together. All right, when we get back, our buddy Russell Baxter will join us. We'll go around the NFL and get his thoughts on Texans Cowboys and whatever else he has seen throughout the league, including all the high scoring. And are the Patriots back for real? Russell Baxter next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris. Football analyst and salary reporter sitting in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. And my next guest is not, but I would love for him to come in here one day and do a show with me live. That would be very, very cool. You can follow him on Twitter, at BaxFootballGuru. Fan side, NFL Spin Zone. He is fantastic. He has joined me at this time all year long, and he will continue throughout the season. And he is Russell Baxter. Russell, how you doing, my man? I'm good, John. How are you? Well, the Texans won. So... That I feel I've been feeling really good, and and Russell, it's more a sense of relief when a team wins after going zero and three and losing six to finish the year last year. But Russell, thirty-seven, thirty-four in Indianapolis, you had a forty-five, forty-two game out in Cleveland. We've seen this explosion in offense, and I know that's probably what the NFL wants. But do you think that's something that continues? Do you think the league is just going to be? heavily slanted towards the offense going forward with all that offense that we saw this last week. Is that a precursor of more things to come? Well, listen, I mean, it's a dramatic turnaround just from last year. Um, I'll just throw out this number for what it's worth. 
Uh, we have played 63 games because um, Carolina and Washington are off last week. So there have right. been 63 games played this year. There have already been 71 100-yard receiving performances by players. Mm. To put that into context, the entire year last year, there were 140. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, go back a couple of years, and there were over 200. Okay? So was last year the anomaly or whatever? Plus, I'll be curious to see some of these teams are going to have to start playing some defense. Sure. Uh, and most notably, the Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> um, who have given up a ton of yards. Uh, you know, the most yards in the league per game, the second most passing yards per league game, per game in the league, the fourth most, I'm sorry, the fifth most rushing yard. I mean, it, you know, they're well balanced. They've yep. been bad against the run and the pass, and yet they're four and zero. I don't know if that's something you can necessarily sustain. Some of these teams are going to have to run the ball, and some of these teams are going to have to play defense. I think it'll settle in. Um, and maybe maybe over the next five or six weeks, we'll see it. But I also wouldn't be surprised that later in the year, the offense has got it cranked up again. I think it's just hard to maintain this over 17 weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And with injuries at various points to keep people, and obviously the Texans had one of those with Will Fuller. But, Russell, the Texans put up a lot of yards, finally put up a lot of points, and do it in a place that has, over the years, been a bugaboo of theirs. But they've now won three out of four. They get off the schneid with a win, and now it's the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night. Overall, Deshaun Watson looked fantastic. The defense, J.J. Watt, Demion Clowney were absolutely amazing. Clowney, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. It feels like things sort of came together, and then you look up and see Andrew Luck threw for about 8,000 yards on the day. I wasn't really totally sure how to feel other than we won, but what do you think overall of the Texans, and what do you think – the next few weeks it could look like as they face lesser quarterbacks that are not Eli Manning and Andrew Luck and Tom Brady as they started the year with? Well, listen, sigh of relief is probably a good way to put it. But a little more than that, because if you were going to win a game, you won a road divisional game. Right. And that speaks volumes because losing at Tennessee is not good. I understand that. But losing at Tennessee is something a lot of teams are going to do. Yep. When you can win some road divisional games, you can separate yourselves in terms of, you know, leapfrogging teams. And this is a team that's already chasing two other teams. It's not like, um, you know, you look at other teams in divisions and so like Green Bay is, you know, just behind the Bears, but it's only the Bears. Um, This is a a, a Texans team that's already a couple games behind both Jacksonville and Tennessee, and both of those teams were in the playoffs last year so stealing one at indy i thought was huge now the next couple of weeks they play a couple of home games against the cowboys and against the bills um you know i look what jacksonville and tennessee have a, coming up as well um so i mean that's why you don't get too high over being zero and three and zero, and don't get too low over being zero and three things happen to change a lot for every team time that we see an zero and two team make the playoffs you know listen Three years ago, the Atlantic Falcons were five and zero. They missed the playoffs. They went eight and eight. Yep, that was a team that we saw, and they destroyed us. And I remember thinking that team could go win a Super Bowl, and they didn't even get to the playoffs, and we did, which was so so incredibly weird in some way, shape, or form. Russell, you mentioned Kansas City at some point, and Patrick Mahomes has been unbelievable through the first four games. I think the biggest thing to me is the fact that he hasn't thrown an interception. I think that's just absolutely incredible. But now they get a as big a test as they're going to get. The game is at home. 
but they faced the Jacksonville Jaguars, the three and one Jaguars, who well went for two up thirteen with twenty five seconds left against the Jets, which created some consternation. But that to me stands out as perhaps the game of the weekend. Jacksonville going to Kansas City. What are you seeing with those two teams, Jacksonville three and one and Kansas City undefeated four and zero? It's a very big two week span for the Kansas City Chiefs. They host Jacksonville and they go to New England. The week after, yeah. So you know they they've already knocked off one defending division champion um, in the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road, uh, but now they're playing a team that can get after a quarterback, and for the most part, hasn't been one of these teams that get in some wild shootouts. You know, they, they bested the Patriots and uh, the Jets um, fairly handily. You know, scored 31 points in each game. Uh, you know, won a slugfest uh, with the uh, Giants on the road. Um, and then lost a 9-6 softball game yeah. uh, to the Tennessee Titans. You haven't, Jacksonville hasn't engaged in this 43-37, 37-36 stuff that we have seen um, for a lot of teams around the league. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can slow down Kansas City. I mean, it's going to be there's going to be some fun matchups. You know, I don't know if Sammy Watkins is going to be available, but um, you know, or, or, I wonder if there's not going to be a coin flip before the game. Um, between A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey on who gets to spend more time with Tyreek Hill. <laughs> yeah, I would think that Ramsey might take some of that because when we played Kansas City when 2016, A.J. Bouye covered Travis Kelsey and actually mm-hmm. did as good a job on Travis Kelsey as anybody. So I wouldn't be surprised. The flip side of that is when they played the Patriots, Gronk was covered by Jalen Ramsey. So the thing is they have two guys that they can pick from to be able to do that, which I think is is absolutely fantastic. Russell, two three and one teams meet on Sunday in Cincinnati, and if you would have given me a hundred dollars to go to Vegas and bet on any two teams not to be three and one, I probably would have put it on at least Miami for sure, and maybe with a question mark about Cincinnati. These are two of the bigger surprises to me in the league: Miami and Cincinnati. But this game, I feel like the loser of this one could maybe head south, especially. If it's Miami, well, they're going to have to head south because they, well, they live in Miami. But right. it feels like Miami is the team that could take a, an about an about face right here if they end up losing this game. But how surprising is it that these two teams are meeting at both three and one? I'm I'm very surprised about Miami, and I'm not totally surprised about Cincinnati. I think lost in the fact that this was a team that went to the playoffs five years in a row before the last two years, and what they went out and did this year is they went out and got a left tackle to replace Andrew Whitworth. Right. That was a huge loss for them the year before in free agency. Um, and the other thing about Cincinnati, they've always been a talented team. We know they don't have the postseason history. I understand that. But you look at how they started a year ago. They were 0-3. They didn't score a touchdown their first two games against Baltimore and Houston on a Thursday night. John, they finished the year 7-6. and six. And I think the thing that impressed me the most about them was the fact the last two weeks of the season, they took it upon themselves to knock two teams totally out of the playoffs, the Detroit Lions and the Baltimore Ravens. So, you know, so much for that, well, you know, we have nothing to play for, so we're not going to play very hard. Yep. Okay. They went into those two games, five and nine and six and nine. Okay. So a lot of pride there. Shows you Marvin Lewis has done a good job. Now they're off to a three and one start. Got rocked by Carolina. I don't think their defense is playing that great, even though they have a lot of talent on the defensive front. They do get Monte's perfect back, yep. who they did not have 
the first four games. Um, but, you know, they've made their share of adjustments. Andy Dalton and A.J. Green got that thing going again. And, you know, they've been one of the best tandems in the league this decade. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about Cincinnati. Uh, but Miami, I thought Miami was one of the harder teams to figure out coming into the year because who they got rid of right. and the uncertainty surrounding Ryan Tannehill. They scratched out three wins, so I give them credit for that. But as far as being somebody uh, – as far as being reliable, for lack of a better word, they're a hard team to get a gauge on. Russell Baxter joins us. Fan-sided NFL Spin Zone. You can follow him on Twitter, at Bax, B-A-X, Football Guru. Russell, one team that had a lot of pundits thinking Super Bowl, not even Super Bowl, but winning it all, the Minnesota Vikings. And the Vikings sit at 1-2-1 one, and, one, and just got rocked last Thursday night by the L.A. Rams, and the Rams are going to do that to a lot of teams, but they made it look easy against Minnesota, and the Vikings sit at 1-2-1 and one, and now have to go to Philadelphia, the scene of the crime last year of the NFC Championship game. If the Vikings lose here, it's 1-3-1, and one, and it seems like it spells trouble in Minnesota. A, what's going on, and man, do you think, B, they can win in Philadelphia? Well, I think they can win in Philadelphia. I don't think the Eagles are quite in sync yet. Um, I certainly haven't seen it. I don't think Carson Wentz is in sync yet. Um, he's played the last couple of weeks, and um, I don't think he looks totally comfortable yet. Um, it's hard to believe Minnesota hasn't won a game since week one. Yeah. Tie, loss, loss. And if you would have told me that the Vikings would have scored 29 points at Green Bay and 31 against the Rams and not won either one of those games, then that's a head-scratcher. But – their defense has not played well. Maybe their defense lost a little confidence in Philadelphia last year. I know Case Keenum had a bunch of turnovers, um, but, you know, so far during this streak, we've seen poor special teams play for them. They had a punt block for a touchdown against Green Bay. Yep. We saw horrendous offensive line play for them against Buffalo when they lost at home. And this past week, their defense, and again, like you said, the Rams are going to do that to a lot of teams. Um, again, they went out in Los Angeles and scored 31 points and couldn't get a win. That offense can be explosive, man. They were for, That offense was fun to watch. But then the defense would go on the field, and I know obviously they're missing Everson Griffin, and that definitely hurts them. Yeah. But my goodness. Uh, just, Everson Griffin being gone, I think it's hurt them a lot. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Another team, Russell, that just seemingly can't get on the right side of things is Pittsburgh. They're also, the Steelers, are 1-2-1. One, coming off of thumping to Baltimore. And, Russell, when we talked before the year, I remember we talked a little bit about Baltimore, and I just wasn't sure. A lot of people thought, yeah, Baltimore could be pretty good this year. And Baltimore maybe is a lot better than people think. But Pittsburgh has been surprising. Yes, no Le'Veon Bell, but I thought defensively they would be better than what they are. And it's kind of nasty. And now you've got a must-win game seemingly at home against Atlanta, and Atlanta's kind of the same way at 1-3. and three, A lot of offense, but a lot of injuries on defense for Atlanta. As you look at those two teams, what do you think it'll take to kind of get it going in the right direction, and which team do you think has a bigger advantage on Sunday of the must-win teams, Atlanta or Pittsburgh? Well, Pittsburgh's at home, and I, you would think that would be enough. But, right. Um, you know, Atlanta has discovered a new offensive weapon in Calvin Ridley. Pittsburgh looked like a team in the second half last week that did had lost its confidence, which was kind of odd because they had gotten jumped on by the Ravens early in the game, and then they seemed like they regained the momentum going into the half. But they never were able to capitalize. The Steelers totaled 47 total yards 
in the second half last oh, week. Yeah. Home. Yeah. Almost mind boggling. Um, yeah, this is a pretty crucial game for the Steelers. Can't afford to lose another home game. They're at Cincinnati the week before. Um, give credit to Baltimore. Baltimore's still a very unpredictable team as well. They're at Cleveland this week, so that'll be pretty fascinating. Uh, but yeah, the Steelers and the Falcons, both teams missing their premier running back. Devontae Freeman, who might be yeah. back this week, by the way, for the Falcons. And of course, Le'Veon Bell, the saga that never seems to end. But you talk about Pittsburgh's defense, giving up about, you go back to uh, last year when they played Green Bay on a Sunday night, it was the week before Ryan Shazier got hurt. Uh, they're giving up about 27 points a game over that span. and They've given up 37 offensive touchdowns in 11 games. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. That's amazing to think about because if you ask somebody to say Steelers, Steel Curtain, defense, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind, toughness, but really that defense has struggled. You're definitely – so right about that, Russell. At Bax Football Guru, B-A-X Football Guru, fan-sided NFL spin zone, man knows it all, and that's why we have him on this show. Russell, you're the absolute best, my friend. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. No problem, man. I'll talk to you next week. There he is, Russell Baxter. Great stuff from him on a number of different NFL teams. All right, it's time to go behind the mics with the two men that will call the game on Sunday night for their respective franchises. Mark Vandermeer, of course, of the Houston Texans, and Brad Sham of the Dallas Cowboys. Next, Texans All Access. Welcome back to Texans All Access on this wonderful Wednesday evening from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. We are halfway home, one hour in the books already. We did plenty of good stuff in the first hour, and we've got more for you. In the second, we start that second hour with our men behind the mics, two voices synonymous with NFL football in the state. Since 2002, Mark Vandermeer has been the voice of the Houston Texans. And in 1984, Brad Sham became the play-by-play voice for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, he was the color analyst for games for eight years prior to that. So dating all the way back to 1976, Brad Sham has been the voice of the Dallas Cowboys. And he joins Mark for our Men Behind the Mics. Brad, how's it going so far for you this year? Uh, You know, it's going going so-so, voice of the Houston Texans. (laughs) It's kind (laughs) of like you. It's been a little up and a little down. Yeah, I can imagine uh, that's the case, and I know the focus is always big on the Dallas Cowboys, no matter what the situation. The victory over Detroit, what did that do? Fan base, media, the team itself, it looked like a nice win to get that. The way you got it, you pulled one out of the fire. So uh, let me let me uh, take them in the order that you asked. Um, th- this would get me in huge trouble. It probably will anyway. I just really don't care what the fan base thinks. They know nothing. They they react viscerally from their couches. So what the fan base thinks is irrelevant to me. The media doesn't know a whole lot more in about 80% of the cases. The problem is, not just here, I think it's true everywhere, uh, what the media says um, not only fuels the fan base, but it it um, will at some point get the attention of the owner of the business. And the owner of the business at some point is going to respond to his or her customers. Um, and uh, that's why I think it's really incumbent on us in our business to try to be responsible and know what we're saying or writing. For the team, I thought it was really important. They, they um, 
know the difficulty. Every NFL player knows the difficulty of climbing out of a one and three hole. It's not impossible, but it's not recommended. And um, they, this team did not expect to be struggling at the quarter pole of the season. And so to be able to come back in uh, the face of a withering week of public criticism, and, and sadly that includes social media, which goes directly to the players. There, there's no filter for it. And uh, you have to, I think you have to work doubly hard if you're the team to keep all that out of the players' heads. So for them to be able to come back, be resilient, uh, do some of the things that they had not done well uh, in the, uh, the two games that they lost, come back and win the game at the end. It's, it always amazes me, Mark, for such a physically violent game, how emotional this sport is. And um, winning is everything when you pay the price these players do to say nothing to the coaches and the support staff. So um, I think it was a big deal. And, you know, hey, look, uh, however it happened for the Texans, tell me I'm wrong, but, you know, however, however it is that you won that game, that's a heck of a lot better than being 0-4. Well, absolutely, but some people evaluate it like figure skating. Like, you didn't do the triple axel well, so it shouldn't right. count, but it's a W, so that's all that matters. Tell me about Dak. Da- yeah, go ahead. That, that's, that's exactly why I say that I don't care. After as long as I've been doing this, I've learned that people do not understand. There are no style points. The only thing – I. I, I went to school at Missouri, okay? I have no dog in the fight. The only thing that, in my opinion, the only thing that rivals Cowboy fans is Texas fans. University of Texas fans will throw a win back if it wasn't up to their specifications. <laughs> a win's a win. It's hard to win a game. And in the NFL, it's really hard to win a game. And, and the figure skating fans can say whatever they want. But a win's a win. Tell me about Dak Prescott and how he's progressing in year three. I think he's progressing acceptably for a third-year quarterback. The, the people up here love to say Romo this and Romo that, and at this point in Tony's career, he hadn't been on the field yet. And uh, Prescott spoiled everybody by being otherworldly as a rookie. And actually, he was he was dovetailing nicely with that the first half of last year. Then they had some injuries in the line and had some protection issues the rest of the way, which caused him to start making some bad decisions. And uh, that, that that was last year, but that was the last thing anybody saw or remembered. So th- this is – Bay Laufenberg and I were talking about this at the beginning of the game on Sunday before the game started. I said, I, I hope – and I said this on the air. I hope this goes well because if it doesn't, I think I know what these fans will do, and I've seen them boo Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman. I was there when it happened. So people don't want to think about the fact that he's a third-year quarterback if Deshaun's not playing well people don't want to think about where he is in his career and 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 I think both of them are uh and I've met Deshaun and I've had some interactions with him and did a program with him last year just before his injury and I mean I think these are two really exceptional young men Uh, I think they are two really grounded intelligent young men with great natural leadership traits and um the rest of it the rest of it comes into play it's the thing that separates quarterbacks, in my opinion, is the decision-making. And it just takes a little bit of time to make all the decisions that you want to make. And there are some guys in the Hall of Fame who made some bad decisions further into their career than Dak Prescott is. So I, I, think, he's, I think he's growing acceptably. 
You know, I'm glad you brought up the evaluation of quarterbacks in general, Brad, because I look at a guy like Tony Romo, and when he retired, everyone thought, is he a pro football Hall of Famer? And I was thinking, well, you have to put him in the ring of honor first, and that's a hard thing to make. And he didn't even go to an NFC Championship game, but I know he did a whole lot of good stuff for the franchise. How is he remembered, and how do you think that stands now versus how he might be remembered eventually? You know, you just said about four really interesting things to me. First of all, just to put him in the Ring of Honor before you put him in the Hall of Fame, but it would be a good idea if you think he's that player. I think the Hall of Fame voters are, are um, influenced by that. Um, you know, uh, it, about his second year, as a, maybe his first full year as a starter, uh, until... Um, oh, maybe about 2009, uh, oh, Romo was the golden boy. And, you know, people forget everybody in the league, including this team, said, no, that's okay. We can get along without you. They didn't draft him for seven rounds. So to me, everything he did was on house money, and he was a really exciting player. Now, because the offense has come slowly out of the gate, Believe me, the last couple of three years that he was playing, it was 50-50. As many people hated him and said he can't win a playoff game and he won't do this and he won't do that, and those were all the people who said he's, you know, he shouldn't be in the league because he wasn't drafted. There, That was as many people saying that as there were saying this guy has got what it takes. And uh, now, of course, when – they're struggling a little, and last year didn't go well. Not, not the quarterback's fault, in my opinion. Well, then Tony Romo's the greatest thing. So he's he's got a little bit of Johnny Unitas and and John Elway and Roger Staubach all rolled up into one, and, and that's so faulty. It's just flawed. So right now, people think that Romo's it, but they didn't think that when he was playing, and that's that's a luxury that's afforded to fans. And um, for me, uh, I, I I love the guy. I mean, I I consider him a friend, and I certainly was more than privileged to broadcast every game he played. Um, I I don't see his I don't see his accomplishments as equal to those of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And Jerry Jones has virtually said he's going to be in the Ring of Honor, and. I think you can make that case. Certainly you can make it statistically, and he was exciting, and he he literally came out of nowhere to kind of resurrect their franchise. And there are three quarterbacks in this team's ring of honor. One of them was the guy who put him on the map, Don Meredith, and the other two won multiple championships. To me, that's the standard. And I'm fine with Tony being in the ring of honor, but you better explain it to Danny White, who had the team in the NFC championship game, his first three years as a starter following Roger Staubach. So that, that, but that's one of those great, you know, you, you can't, you can't be right or wrong. That, that's a great uh, bar stool or living room sofa or a talk show conversation. And then there, there really is no right or wrong. It's just opinion. Brad, I'm glad you brought up Danny White. Andre Ware and I are big Danny White fans and Andre Ward number 11 also, not because of Danny White, but he also felt that, kind of kinship with him and uh i think it's a great point about the three nfc championship games uh back to now 
Demarcus Lawrence, how good is he? Man, is he really bursting out of the scene after last year's 14-and-a-half sacks and everything he's doing this year. What kind of player is he? I think he's really good, Mark. I think he's really good. He And the thing, because, again, fans, and too often we in the media, we only care about things that can be measured statistically. So before he burst out last year, uh, people did not see what he was doing in the run game unless you were unless you were shooting the film or uh, grading it or watching it. That those guys know what a solid player he was before he had 14 and a half sacks, and he's gotten better and better. He's taken a much different approach to a franchise tag year than a lot of players do. He's embraced it. He's come out roaring, and he's growing up. He's he is more of a leader in the defensive room than than he has been before, and uh, he he's a good player. He's a really good player, and he, you know if he if he has another double digit sack year, not only will he, as they say, get paid. Some of us think he's getting paid now, but uh, you know we'd be happy to trade for his salary. But uh, not only will he get paid, but he will be regarded as one of the premier pass rushers in the league and he should be and i also think that kind of ignores some of the things he does very very well i think he's a really good player brad what's the vibe on this game with the dallas cowboys to the houstonians it's a big deal to play dallas no doubt but i know to dallas you have the nfc east you have all the other rivalries and the texans are a team you face once every four years they are in state but how do you look at it? How do you think people look at it in general in the area? Uh, th- this is a question that I was just discussing with a couple of folks uh, here who run a, a podcast for the team. And um, and uh, as is sadly the case with almost everybody in the building, I'm older than them. So or maybe that's not sad. But I was trying <laughs> to explain to them. Well, now, one of them was our sideline reporter, Christy Scales, and she she's a Galveston native, so she understands the dynamic. Uh, completely the um, transcending football having nothing to do with it but having everything to do with it and and I say this as objectively and lovingly as I can I'm not talking about the Cowboys I'm talking about the city the area there's an arrogance to Dallas it's new money it's uh, Tech Schramm when he ran this franchise was accused of being arrogant and he said you're damn right I am and I intend to be and, and he wanted to have a team that he could be arrogant about and a franchise that he could be arrogant about. And they had a lot of winning when the Oilers weren't uh, getting the same kind of notice. And I think based on years of doing, I've done a lot of college sporting events and, and professional sporting events besides NFL games in Houston, I, I think that for whatever reason, I'm not saying I, I do not I don't endorse or claim this is my attitude. I do I do say this is my opinion of the attitude. Um, in Houston, they don't like Dallas. They don't like anything about Dallas, and they especially don't like the Cowboys. And it's a big flipping deal if the WNBA team beats the Dallas WNBA team, <laughs> and if the Texans beat the Cowboys, that's a big deal. And in Dallas, yeah, whatever. Who are we playing? Cincinnati? Oh, Houston? Okay. That's just how they are. Not the club, not the team. 
the, the people. Mm-hmm. That's what, to me a sociological fact of life in our state, and um, I don't I don't endorse it. I can't explain it. I just think that's how it is. Brad, one more for you. From your point of view, from where we sit right now, what do you think of this game? What's your take on what might go down or your general feeling about Sunday night, the Cowboys and the Texans? Well, I, I think it's a game of two teams that really have um, uh, uh, some close to equal desperation. Uh, both of them have some really good positive aspects, and both of them have some serious flaws. And the uh, my uh, broadcast partner, Babe Laufenberg, uh, tweeted out, I just saw it a couple of hours ago, the statistical difference. I just hate that, but it exists. The statistical difference between being uh, of making the playoffs, chances of making the playoffs if you're 3-2 and two compared to 2-3. and three. And it's like a 30% greater chance if you're 3-2. and two. Hmm. That doesn't have anything to do with this year's Dallas team, but it is historical statistical fact psychologically i think it's a big deal and for this team especially if they can finally put two wins together and win a game uh away from home that would be another psychological step i i without knowing hardly any of them i feel somewhat comfortable in saying the texans did not think they were going to start the year one and three they think they're better than that they think they've got playoff talent in many places on the field and it could be, it could feel like, whether it is or not, Mark, I think it could feel like a season-turning game for the Texans if they can win. And because of that, and because things are so even in this league now, I think it'll be a really entertaining game to watch. I certainly feel that Brad is correct. It will be an entertaining game to watch. I just hope that the entertainment and the victory come on the Texans side of things and not on the Cowboys side of things but love getting a chance to talk to the NFC voices and Brad Sham obviously being in the state we are inundated with a lot of Cowboys just as much as we are Texans and so I hear Brad's voice a lot and I think Brad is an excellent excellent guy I got a chance to meet him a few years ago and he is fantastic appreciate his time spending a few minutes with Mark speaking of Mark the voice of the Texans he will join me next and we'll talk about this matchup that we get every four years and it's one that we get in NRG Stadium every eight years. We'll do that next right here on Texas All Access. Calling all Houston area teachers want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Appreciate you guys being here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter, and I am one half of the In the Lab podcast. The other half is Drew Doherty. This week, we talked a little bit about looking back at some of the key things that we saw, and we also look forward. So if you want to go to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, however you get your podcast, and subscribe to In the Lab and also Vandermeer's View, Deep Slant. If you want to subscribe to all of those, we welcome you. We welcome all reviews. And any thoughts you might have. But Drew noted in, in the podcast, the first time we've ever done it in the lab, because we just started it last offseason, talking about a win. And there were many heroes, if you will, in that game. But Drew and I started off with the unsung guys. And the guy that Drew mentioned, well, he put his best foot forward on Sunday for sure. Trevor Daniel, punter, gets a game ball from me. It's a good one. 
It's a great one. I love that. First, I love that. First three punts all inside the 20, okay? One was down at the two, and it led to the uh, the botched snap by Ryan Kelly yep. that Jadeveon Clowney pounced on for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. The next two were fair caught inside the 20. He had a fourth coming up that was inside the 20, but the guy got loose for a 19-yard return. I can't remember who it was, but kind of could have bottled him up and brought him down. And then he had a fifth one. Uh, so four of his five punts were inside the 20. He really helped the Texans in a huge, huge way that we don't focus on, we don't talk about, but the field position made the field a lot longer for Luck and the Colts and allowed the Texans to do some things. And uh, darn it, I'm giving mine to Trevor Daniel. And I wish I w- I'm happy that J.J. Watt got the strip sack and the Texans got the ball back. But that big play by J.J. kind of obscured what I thought was my best tweet of the day because Daniel punted that ball, and I, that, that one ball, and it got down to like the nine. So I said, Trevor Daniel's third punt of the day, fair caught at the nine by Manu Ginobili because <laughs> what's-his-face just like got brushed by Sandy Coates and he <laughs> fell down and flopped. And, yeah. That was that was fantastic. I was proud of that tweet, but it you know got swallowed up. By it's all the such good a great news. gif. Yeah. I've seen that that gif, gif, whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. I've seen it a few times. I saw the, the NFL posted that some some Jeff Balky, Jeff Balky did, and I re, I retweeted it. Somebody like around the NFL did that, and it was so <laughs> so funny. The thing about Chester Rogers, this is going to sound sort of weird, but I actually cheer for Chester Rogers a little bit when he's not playing the Texans, even though it's the Colts. I cheer for him. He is apparently the best friend of a guy uh, who was my son's mentor over at Westside High School for oh, okay. a few years. That's cool. And so he, he, David used to ask me, he coaches D-line over at Westside, and he used to ask me all the time. He's like, hey, hey, what do you know about Chester Rogers? What do you know about Chester Rogers? And I was like, well, he signed with the Colts, so I hope he's not very good. And he's ended up <laughs> turning out a, a pretty nice career for himself and done a pretty nice job for, for the Colts. Uh, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. All right, got to go. Kind of obscure, you know, because I know we know, and I know I'm you, you. I'm not. I'm. I'm explaining this to the listener. I know you know this, but we. Hey, yeah, Clowney deserves a game ball. Watt deserves a game ball. Watson deserves a game ball. QT Hopkins, they all deserve game balls. But we're going a little bit more obscure. We go in the lab. That's what this is all about. So, Johnny, who's your game ball guy? Zach Cunningham. All right, I like it. It's weird. Um, the pass. Coverage against the Giants was not very good. No. Not was not very good. And I did not think that – in all honesty, I didn't think either linebacker played all that well against the Giants. I thought BMAC played a little bit better than Zach. But I've seen Zach play much better um, in other, other times. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think – I didn't think looking back at the All-22 film, I didn't think the defense played extremely well against the Giants. Right. So I was a little worried with, with – the Colts, in particular because I thought that Andrew would throw the ball short a bunch, that they would try and isolate those running backs, Hines and Marlon Mack, even though Marlon Mack didn't play, but Hines and Jordan Wilkins. I thought they he would try to he get tried them to. in the passing game and they would hit the tight ends. But Zach Cunningham had a couple of brilliant plays. I mean, he had a couple of really nice pass breakups. I felt like he was in better shape in coverage. It felt like he went back to the Romeo Cornell drawing board, got his, his bleep straight, and got it right where it needs to be. Now, there's got to still be some better underneath coverage understanding, but I felt like that was more about the defensive backs than it was the linebackers. I thought Zach did a really nice job on Ebron for the most part. 
I want to say he had a couple of pass defense, but I, I, I don't have the game book in front of me. But I felt like Zach was much, much better against the Colts, and that was vital. And he made a couple of big plays in pass coverage. That's a really good choice, and I got three little things to follow up on that. It's good that he needs to be heating up, and because you're going to need him this week, uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Yes, probably, doubt. probably the. I mean, he's leading the NFL in rushing. He's probably the best running back in the league. Yes, he rocked Naheem Hines on that second oh, play of the game. Yes, oh and my it, goodness! It's a shame that. Okay, oh. so first play, JJ Watt gets through and stops uh, the run for no gain. Yep, Joe Wilkins, yep. And then Hines catches the ball out of the backfield and gets planted by Cunningham. So it's third and 11, and then they get that big – they get a big uh, like 15-yard gain, and then they go down the field to Hilton two plays later. But that was a good TFL right off the bat to just rock rock him. But it was interesting. Last week we had Brandon Dunn on at the Fuddruckers show on Tuesday yeah. night. And so I can't remember how, but Cunningham came up. He goes, I'm not calling him by his name. I'm going to call him 41. I'm not going to call him by his name until he has a good game. He 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 could play better, and I know he's going to play better, but 41 41's going to be okay. So I I bet you he's along the same lines as you. I bet he's calling him Cunningham again. Brandon Dunn <laughs> yeah. is, because Zach had a good ball game. That, that was a good – I like that choice, John. That's a really good good one. Okay, since I hogged the, uh, the game ball, I'm going to give you the key turning point or key point, key series. It doesn't have to be – uh, limited to one thing, but go for it. What is it? I got one, and then we can bandy this back and forth if you okay. want. But I felt like the crucial there there was a very there was a crucial moment in the game, mm-hmm. and the defense, although struggled in the fourth quarter, I felt like the defense came up with a stop after a turnover. I want to say for the first time all year, and it was vital. Twenty-eight to seventeen. Luck had just driven the, the Colts down. He gets the score. They, Texas have been up 28-10 after that long drive. Yep. They come right back down and score on a shorter drive. And I kept thinking, well, now it's, it's just back to work time. We're going to have to grind this a little bit because Will Fuller had been out of the game. And you could turn an eight-play series into a two-play series if you got Fuller because mm-hmm. he's going down the field. And they had taken that long drive to start their quarter. And so I thought 28-17, just get back to work. Go down, answer the field goal. They just answer their score, the field goal, answer their score, some kind of points. Three or seven. It'd be great if you got seven, but just answer it. Sean throws an interception. Pierre Desir makes a really nice play. It was not a great throw. It was a little bit behind hop. But either way, they get the interception. And they're in Texans territory. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, man, here we go. This is going to be dicey. First play, they get nine yards. So it's second and one. Then in succession. Merciless tackle for a loss, loss of three. Third and four, clowny tackle for a loss, loss of three. It's fourth and seven, and that put them in no man's land. Probably too far for a field goal, probably too close to punt, so they decide to go for it. Mm-hmm. Eric Ebron, false starts. Now it's fourth and 12. Now Not they punt. punt. Yep. So 28-17 could easily have been 28-24, and at that point, because it's in third quarter, they can kick the extra point and make it 28-24 and not feel bad about it. Yeah. But because they had to score later, and they, had that made, for two. they had to go for two yeah. because they were down 11. So that kept points off the board. So to me, there are two unknown spots. The second one, I'll, I'll, I'll wait to see what you come up with. But to me, that one mm-hmm. right there was as key a drive as anything to keep them off the board after that touchdown to make it 28-17 after a turnover was absolutely massive. I like that one. Mine 
my key turning point, my key thing, first drive of the second half. Yeah. You go 8-21. You burn eight and a half no. minutes off the clock. Okay, you get a touchdown. You go up 28-10 to at that point. But what that did, I think, was ultimately – it kept the game out of reach from that. Right. It kept it kept them from running away, really, right? Because they started gashing you on defense. Aside from the one you brought up, right? But they chewed up so much clock on that that it closed the window on how much they could score, how much they could get after you. I loved what I saw there. Fifteen plays on that drive, John. Mm-hmm. You know how many times they faced third down on that drive? Once. Yeah. Only one time. Now it wasn't perfect. They had some penalties. They had some some gaffes there on the drive, but they kept moving the chains. They kept doing it on first and second down, and I really like I loved how they executed on it because they, like we saw throughout this whole game, they mixed it up offensively. They really took advantage of everything, every weapon they have at their disposal for the most yep. part, and I thought that was a beautiful drive. I, I it was to me, I think that was the best drive of the year. Fifteen plays, yeah, didn't face third down but once. I love that one. They had, I want to say there was a holding penalty. There was some sort yep. of penalty. Although they had, they had like two, I think. And they got, and I want to say they got them in back-to-back plays or near back-to-back plays. But then, as I said, going into the week, sometimes you need some help from the other team. And they got an illegal hands-to-the-face call, which gave them an automatic first down, which mm-hmm. kind of reset everything. So there was like a three- or four-play sequence where it was penalty, penalty, Colts penalty, back to first down. So it was like they almost got to wash each other out. But I kept looking up and seeing the time go off. I was like, wow. And here's the one thing that stood out to me, Drew, about that drive in particular. There's two things. Number one was we've seen those clock-killing drives in the past from the Texans with Bill O'Brien as coach. We've seen that before. Yeah. But the majority, if not all of them, have gone for three. Yep. Not seven. You're right. They've gotten down there, and they've gotten close, and it's like, oh, darn it, we ran off eight minutes a clock, but we only got three. This one went for seven. The second part that I remember was the touchdown play. Mm-hmm. Hopkins and Watson had, had connected for the fade route earlier, but they did it on Milton number 28. When they came out on that play, they were aligned such that Hopkins was out to the right against Nate Hairston. And I'm watching, and I see the two – I see Hopkins sort of kind of make a motion with his hand. Mm-hmm. And I see Watson look at him like – and he kind of points, and then Watson points out the mic, and then he kind of looks at Hop, and he kind of nods at him, and they kind of look over there. And I watch Hairston, and Hairston literally backs up like a step. Uh-huh. Like he kind of backs up, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. He takes a snap and runs the quarterback sweep the other way. Yeah. And I thought, that's I, brilliant. I wonder how that's much, brilliant. I wonder how much they noticed that, how much – that was, you know, that was preconceived. Like, hey, let's kind of throw him off with I'm, this little. I'm sure they probably came yeah, up with this with it body on the fly. language stuff. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I, I thought like it was, that. was really neat because I just happened to see that. I was like, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's really cool because I thought, I almost thought they were calling a shot at first, and I thought that would have been cool too because you don't really. I mean, Harrison's a smaller guy, so he's just got to get it up high for Hopkins to go up over him. But then when he took off and started running to the left, I just started laughing. I didn't even know what the result was going to be. I just started laughing. I was like, that was pretty cool. And then he got in the end zone. They replayed it, and, and he got in. But that was, a, that, was a, that was a really great way to finish the drive. Not the deception so much, but mm-hmm. just the fact that they were able to take that drive all the way down and get points. Mm-hmm. I felt like that. The one thing about – remember the movie The Waterboy? How could I forget? Remember the game against uh, Louisiana University or whatever it's called? 
and Dan Fouts is calling a game with Brent Musburger, mm-hmm. and he kept saying, it's the last game of the year, Brent. you got to let it all hang out. Remember that? And he kept saying it, and finally Brent was like, I know. Do you remember that? Yeah. That's kind of the voice that was reverberating in my head, except it was, you're 0-3. you got to let it all hang out. And they did. And that was kind of the way I felt like they approached the entire day with some design runs, obviously, Deshaun on that one. Some things they did with moving Deshaun out of the pocket with some of the orbit motion, jet sweep motion, all that kind of stuff that they uh, that they utilized. And I hope they continue to do it. Uh, that was It was fun to watch. It was effective. They've got to execute a little bit more down in the red zone, as Bill O'Brien would tell you. But I thought against a very young, athletic, confident defense, they moved the ball when they really needed to. Yeah, and you score 30 points on that defense, 37 in total. Uh, pretty good, pretty good afternoon. Yes, it certainly was a good afternoon, and one will always remember. Thirty-seven, thirty-four over the Indianapolis Colts on the road. Now it's on to the Cowboys, and Drew and I talked about that on the podcast. So go to the In the Lab podcast with Drew and myself. Also, again, check out Vandermeer's View, Deep Slant. We got some great Texans podcasts up there. You can get all the Texans all access. On a podcast, so however you get them, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, however you find your podcast, definitely go subscribe, and you can obviously hear what Drew and I had to say about the Cowboys looking ahead. All right, we get back. It's our good buddy Andre Ware joining the show and give us his thoughts on what we saw Sunday and looking ahead to the Dallas Cowboys. Haven't had a chance to call a lot of these Texans-Cowboys games, but when the Texans won in 2002, it was quite memorable, and Mark and Andre were at the call, and they're up next right here on Texans All Access. This week's Stats Challenge is brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexans.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. All right, we're going to do a little math, obviously, because stats and math kind of run together. Jadeveon Clowney has 42 tackles for a loss in the last 33 games. That's his last two seasons plus the first four games of this year, which are three games because he didn't play in week two. 42 tackles for a loss in 33 games. 1.3 tackles for a loss for Jadeveon Clowney per game that puts him second in the league over that entire span let's move on with the show we got one final segment and we always devote that to our good buddy Andre Ware talks a little bit about that Colts win the Cowboys on the horizon and he's going to see last year's national champs oh not Alabama the other one what does it mean to you when the local professional football franchise faces the Cowboys what's that like for you personally I've never been a Cowboy fan. Even growing up, there were you know Cowboy fans all around me. Some of my best friends to this day are are Cowboy fans, and I was never really uh, in that in that uh, that group, so to speak. But uh, it'll be good to see them come in. To me, it's just a uh, you know I'm certainly on the side of the Texans in this one. I think it's an opportunity to see two really good football teams. Uh, you know, do battle on Sunday night. And what's your recollection when you think about the game and the buildup, that inaugural game in Texans history? Oh, God, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was just, you know, a lot of emotion. A lot You could sense it around the stadium. Uh, first first game in franchise history. You know, never really knowing what to expect. And then, you know, with it being the Cowboys, it couldn't be a more, uh, you know, a right setting, so to speak. But um, when you when you when I think back to that one, there were some plays made. Billy Miller, obviously with the biggest play in that ball game, but but David Carr playing some uh, some outstanding football and and then figuring out a way that it was a young team that was just assembled and found a way to win. You know the the first game in franchise history, and that's something that uh, 
that will never be taken away from that group. All right, so this group here just came off a win against the Colts, and the Cowboys had a maybe somewhat similar kind of thing where they needed a late field goal to beat Detroit, and they got it. So what do you think of Dallas coming in? What's your overall feeling on the Dallas Cowboys as we enter week five? Well, it's, you know, they're they're somewhat healthy in a sense where, uh, yeah, they're giving up a couple of sacks or so, but Dak is kind of finding his way without a big-time number one or two uh, receiver, I would even add that, in uh, in this offense. So he's kind of finding his way and holding the ball a little long, and they've given up some sacks, but it seems as though they're playing uh, some better football. Uh, up front, they, they are healthy on the offensive line, so there won't be any easy ones. You're going to have to earn sacks in this game or, or quarterback knockdowns for that matter. And, oh, by the way, as you try to get those, you got to worry about a guy that's wearing number 21 and, and uh, Ezekiel Elliott, that can certainly rip it up as well. So it uh, this will be a test because they want to establish the run, run play action from that. And then once you think you, you might, might have a beat on those two things, that can pull it down and run for first downs and, and make plays in his own right. So it's a, it, when you look at it from a defensive standpoint, this is this will be one of their tougher games, I think, this season, but just because of, the way the Cowboys like to operate. What do you think about being home but having a lot of Cowboy fans in the building? It's not going to be like the Steelers game last year, but it'll be significant, and it won't be like when the Texans visited Dallas four years ago, but you will have a lot of of Cowboy fans, and and how will Watson and the offense deal with that at home? Oh, I might might disagree with you a little bit on that one in terms of it. The Steelers travel well, but this is right up the street. And they're everywhere. You know, you can't find them when the Cowboys are losing. But they are everywhere <laughs> at the beginning of a season. So right down 45, and I'm not just talking about those that live in Dallas coming down for the game. There are, you know, sprinkles and uh, big sprinkles of them right here in the city of Houston. And so those tickets will be gobbled up. Uh, they will be well represented uh, in, in this one. So. Yeah, it's 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 this can be a wild atmosphere, as wild as it's it's ever been, because both teams uh, really need to win to uh, to kind of stay afloat and stay uh, in pace with what's going on in their respective divisions. So uh, this 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 will be a hard fought, wild football game, and the fans will be a big big part of it. And if you're Watson in the offense, you got to deal with some crowd noise in your own building, perhaps, right? You do, because, uh, you know, I never figure out how they get in. The other teams, I'm talking other teams' fans, <laughs> but they are in there. And, yeah, he will definitely have to to, uh, to deal with some crowd noise from Cowboys fans, as well as some pretty b- good b- bookend defensive ends and Charlton and Demarcus Lawrence on the other side. They, they, uh, they can bring some heat and, and disrupt some things. So I think they've got like 14 sacks on the season as a team. So this this will be this will be a tough ball game. Yeah, no question about it. What about Watson now? It's week five. How about his development, Andre? What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean from a personal standpoint for him, it was one of his better games. I mean, I, I was saying that he needed to up his completion percentage uh for the season. He was able to do that last week. I think he completed like sixty nine percent of his passes, which is insane for having Basically, you're in a shootout, <clears throat> and so you you know you're dealing the ball around, and there're going to be some drops, there're going to be some misses, some 
throwaways in which, you know, you're trying to preserve some, some time on the clock. But to still walk away from it at 69% was unbelievable. The touchdown, a uh, couple of touchdown passes, he added a touchdown run. He did everything within his power to keep this offense and this team in the ball game. And then ultimately, when, when there was an opportunity to go win it, uh, he proved again that uh, he's solid in that department as well. But kudos to everybody involved on that side of the ball because uh, they had to they change tackles. Kendall Lamb started that game at, at uh, right tackle instead of Julian Davenport. Every, Will Fuller goes down. Kiki QT steps up and sets a franchise record. I mean, it was just one player after another. Talk about next man up. Uh, they've been able to do it. So uh, uh, big. my hat goes off to that entire group because I thought maybe it was uh, with exception of being able to run with consistency, I, I think it was the best offensive look that we've seen in quite some time. QT and Coach O'Brien both said after the game that there were plays left on the field for him, yet he had 11 catches. What do you think about what he's adding to this offense and what the ceiling might be? Well, you know, now there's film on him, so so defensive coordinators will start the game plan uh, with him in mind. I think he was new. Uh, nobody had seen him. They didn't know what to expect, didn't really think that Coach O'Brien would feature him or use him as much in the game plan uh, as he did. And so once uh, that game was over, the clock hit zeros, you can best believe that everybody around the league knew exactly who number 16 was, and and he's going to have their attention going forward along with with DeAndre as well as Will Fuller. So it, it really gives you a bunch of weapons. Uh, the tight ends are starting to come around as well. Jordan Aikens had a couple of catches. Thomas has had his moments through the season, and Ryan Griffin has made some tough catches. So there are plenty of weapons that are starting to, to really develop along with Deshaun Watson, and they, this, that could make it make this offense, so to speak, very, very interesting. Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson. You're looking at a potential class of 04 kind of thing because that class had Roethlisberger and Rivers and Manning, and Rivers didn't even play the first year. And I know it's very early here, but it's going to be fun to watch these guys develop because they all look pretty good early. Yeah, Mahomes has been insane. I mean, he has yet to throw an interception, and it doesn't look like he's going to throw one anytime soon, Uh, maybe on a tip ball. And, And I'm like, that's kind of the equivalent of having the perfect round in golf where you just maybe not birdie every hole, but you're putting it birdie and you're making a majority of them and you set mm-hmm. an all-time low for yourself. Well, that's what he's doing. That that That's my equivalent when you go through an entire NFL season or football season period on any level and you don't throw an interception. And so uh, he is he is dealing it. Man, he's got some kind of arm talent. I haven't seen anything like it in a very, very long time where the mobility is there. Uh, the arm strength is there. He can throw from different angles, both stationary and on the move. The smarts are there in terms of knowing where to go with the football, getting off uh, the first the first progression and getting through the entire progression of an progression of an offensive play. It, it's fun to watch, and so it's a it's a dynamic class. When you talk about the three of them, Trubisky last week, insane, five touchdowns in the first half, and then what Deshaun's doing. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely will rival uh, the 04 class. All right, what do you have going on in college? Going down to UCF, the nation's uh, <clears throat> longest win streak in terms of seeing UCF, and they'll face wow. SMU and getting ready to really dig into uh, to SMU. And here in a little bit, I've kind of gotten through UCF. 
and uh, ready to go the other way. But this will be a good matchup. Mustangs are coming off a big win this past week where they put up 63 points. They've made a switch at quarterback where they feel that, you know, they look as though they're playing with a lot of confidence and, and uh, feel as so. So it'll be a big chore defensively whether or not they can stop that, actually get a handle on Mackenzie Milton, who uh, can just flat out throw it. He's not a big guy. He's just about 5'11", but he is uh, he is so dynamic with the football. We just talked about quarterbacks. Well, he's kind of that on the collegiate level this year, and has been the last couple of years. And there you have it, folks, another show in the books. Big thanks to everybody who participated, to my guys back in studio, keeping the show on the straight and narrow. Thank you very much. But mostly you guys for listening. Without you, we don't have a show. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.